on 10-10-10, that is October 10th, 2010, Seven Mile Road, we hosted probably the biggest party we have hosted to date. In fact, it was right here in this hall. We squeezed well over 200 people, row after row of people with food and drink and friends and family and conversation and celebration. It was one of the best days in the life of our young five-and-a-half-year-old church plant. And the reason that we were coming together, the reason for this joyful celebration, the biggest and best party we had ever had, was because that was the day that St. Mark's German Evangelical Reformed Church, a mouthful of a title, handed to us this entire property. Six acres of land, maybe closer to actually eight, eight acres of land, this building that we're sitting in, that chapel next door, a five-bedroom house at the top of the driveway and a garage, and all of it was ours, right? Every inch of it had now become, become ours, belonged to us. And so we celebrated, we ate, we drank, we, we rejoiced, we laughed, we had a great meal and threw the biggest party we knew to do. But he, here's the thing about that. Right When you think about it, we were eating and drinking and celebrating and rejoicing that all of this was ours, but in reality, we had not done one thing for this. Right, We, we hadn't done a thing. This whole thing was ours, and we hadn't contributed to it in any way. We hadn't participated in getting it in any way. Meaning, for example, we weren't here in 1959 when the people of St. Mark's negotiated a deal with a widow named Emma Bomer and bought this land. We weren't here in 1962 when they erected this building and put the final capstone in. We didn't contribute or give when men and women from St. Mark's came every single Saturday, as they did for months, and they worked on that barn and converted it into a chapel. We didn't help out or pitch in when Diane Albert's family made the stained glass windows by hand and installed them all together. We didn't, truth be told, do anything. We didn't spend an hour, we didn't give a dime, we didn't do anything, and yet we were given everything, right? Every room, every chair, every dish, every fork, every square inch of this eight-acre, two-million-dollar property was now ours. And so it seemed like the only appropriate response was to throw the biggest party we could to celebrate, to eat, to drink, to rejoice, because we had inherited, it had been completely transferred to us, a party of thanksgiving and gratitude for all that we had gotten. In some ways, I want you to hear this. This is a picture, in small ways, of what Christianity as a whole is like, right? The entire Christian faith. Listen to me. Don't believe for a second The idea that the Christian faith is essentially the message of, here's how you become a good person. And if you do that, if you become good enough, then God will give you, and you can fill in the blank, forgiveness of sins, happiness, peace, joy, health, heaven, whatever it might be. If you do this, then God will give to you. Christianity, the gospel, right, what Christians call the good news, is completely opposite to all of that. The good news is that we brought nothing, we contributed nothing, we did nothing, and yet we get everything. We got everything. And and the only almost appropriate response is to be wildly thankful, to be unbelievably grateful. 
In fact, that's the spirit of what I think you see in Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14. So if you've got a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14. In these two verses, the Apostle Paul is wildly thankful for all that God has done for his people. And that, of course, includes the Colossians then and you, Seven Mile Road now. Right? If you remember, we're in this section in Colossians 1. If you were here last week, Pastor Binu preached to us how Paul is in this section where he's praying for the Colossians. So he's asking God to do some things for the Colossians. But he doesn't end that prayer without thanksgiving. That is, thanking God for all that he has done for the Colossians. And so, in this section, he gives this wild thanksgiving. Verses 12 through 14. Listen once more to the passage that Charlie read for us. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me tell you what's supposed to happen. When you read these two verses and you begin to think over it and it begins to rotate in your mind, that same sort of wow feeling you get at the thought of Eight acres and a $2 million property given for nothing. I mean, if that's supposed to produce some kind of, whoa, wow, a tip of the iceberg Thanksgiving, then Colossians 1 to 12 to 14 is supposed to make that pale in comparison when the Christian considers all that is ours through Christ because of the Father. When we think of what God has done for us, Christians should be wildly thankful because God has qualified us, God has delivered us, God has transferred us. Those are the three words you especially want to see in these verses. God has qualified us, God has delivered us, God has transferred us. This is what Paul is going to be thankful for in these two verses. So consider that with me. First of all, Paul gives God thanks because the Father has qualified us. And he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right? That's what you see in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The first thing that Paul is wildly thankful for is that the Father has qualified you. Listen to me, Seven Mile Road believer. The Father has qualified you. Now think about that for a second. Because the truth is, none of us really enjoy being in like an uneven relationship where there's a clear giver and there's a clear need and a a person who's above and below. We don't like those kinds of relationships, right? Like the, the worst insult you could be called is like a needy person, right? If you're a needy husband, a needy girlfriend, a needy friend, that's the worst. Nobody wants to be that. Right? We want to contribute equally. We don't want to be given to and be indebted to. We're Giving is hard. Sometimes receiving is even harder because we hate the idea of being below someone else or being indebted to someone else. And that sort of sense that we have, we even project towards God so that we don't even want to hand out from God, right? And in fact, that sort of instinct in us is catered to by most of the religions and worldviews in the world because the basic message of most worldviews and religions is You don't need to get a gift from God. You you get what you deserve. You put in the hard work, and if it's been good enough, then God will give to you. And, And what that is, is that's you earning something. That doesn't produce thanksgiving, right? 
stay with me for a second. If, if you get to the end of your two weeks at work and HR gives you the check, none of you run to the HR office and go, thank you so much. This was so generous of you. No. You don't do that. In fact, the only thing you do is grumble, I can't believe this is all there is, right? Because I put in the work, I earned this. Not, that doesn't produce gratitude. And, and most of our thinking when it comes to God is we don't have gratitude because he's giving us what we've worked for. Christianity is completely the opposite, completely antithetical. Christianity is you stretched out empty hands and got a gift you didn't deserve. This is not an even relationship. You are the needy one. You were the one who needed a handout. In fact, the verse is reminding you, the heart of the Christian message is you had to be qualified. Thanks to the Father who qualified us. Somehow wrote, the implication that you needed to be qualified was that on your own, you were what? Unqualified. That on your own, in your natural state, you were unqualified. M meaning that you weren't a worthy candidate. Heaven wasn't looking down and seeing you as a top prospect, a must-have. You were unqualified. I, I thought about this this week, and, and I've already been accused of using too many football analogies, but I'm going to do one more, and then I'll fast at least till next week, right? So this week, if you were in the city of Philadelphia, if you turned on the news or heard the radio, what you heard about was the NFL draft. Right, the Eagles were going to get to select. Now, I was at Lincoln Financial Field, and I can tell you we were waiting there hoping, and the talk was, could Chip Kelly, the coach of the Eagles, do enough maneuvering, make enough trades of prospects and players so that he could go from 20th to number two and their draft our beloved dream child, Marcus Mariota. Didn't happen, and we were crushed. I want you to know that. But imagine for a second with me that we could go back in time and imagine it happened, right? Imagine that he had done just the right deal and that we traded up and we got the second pick. And imagine that Roger Goodell, who's the commissioner of the NFL, went up to the podium and he said, with the second pick in the 2015 NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select John Doe punter from Idaho, right? You're chuckling because... If he did that, we would have pulled our hair out, right? We would have pulled our hair out because we would have thought to ourselves, there is no way that that was worth all of that. There's no way that you were worth trading all of that to select that person. He's not fit for it. He's not qualified for it. And, and what Christianity is trying to get to you is, if you could let the shock waves in, the shocking message of Christianity is God traded the life of his son to draft you. God forfeit, God traded, God gave away His beloved, perfect, righteous Son to select you. He moved heaven and earth to have you. And, and who are we? We were unqualified. And yet, He qualified us. Thanks be to the Father who qualified us, who fit us, who chose us. And He did so for what? What Paul tells us. Paul tells us he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He fit us. He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thanks be to the Father who fit you, who qualified you to share in the inheritance. Now that language of share in the inheritance 
is sort of reminiscent from the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. There, God had a people named Israel. They were his people. And they were promised an inheritance. In fact, the language is sort of of the 12 tribes of Israel who are going to get a chunk of real estate. But even in the Old Testament, the people then knew, look, this small country of Israel. Israel's the size of New Jersey. That's it. And, and they sort of knew this isn't the whole thing. This is sort of a picture of a bigger inheritance that God's people would get. God's people aren't just going to get New Jersey in the Middle East. God's people, the, the, the waiting was that they're going to inherit the whole earth. Right? In fact, that's what the thought was, that when the realm of light comes, when the kingdom of God comes, when the future comes, God's people will have the whole thing. Right? That's the inheritance God's people were waiting for. This is why when Jesus spoke his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The whole thing is going to be yours. And so what God's people were waiting for is, we're going to get the whole thing. And not just land, the, the greatest inheritance is we're going to get God. We're going to get God. We're going to have Him. And Paul is saying, the Father has qualified you, Christian, to be in on that. To inherit everything. The universe is for you. God Himself is going to be yours. And the Father's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And even in that, though, think more. Because, okay, we're going to get the inheritance. But think through that for a second. Who do you give an inheritance to? If you've written a will, and some of you have now, whose names are on that will? It's, it's your children. It's your loved ones. What I can most assuredly guarantee is that the names on that will are not strangers or enemies. You have no intention of leaving your hard work possessions to strangers or enemies. And yet Paul is writing in Colossians 1 to a bunch of people who are not Jews, who are Gentiles, who are outside of God's people, outside of the covenant, outside of the story, outside of the promises, who in Ephesians 2 says we're strangers and aliens without God and without hope, and says you're in too. That God has written in your name into the will so that you're going to share the inheritance of Israel. You're going to share in the inheritance of God's people. You were not fit for this, but God has qualified you to be among His own. You should think through that. I've said before, I remember watching this YouTube clip of this Korean preacher. And there was translation on the bottom. This Korean preacher is preaching in Korea to a thousand Koreans. And he's preaching and he starts talking about Father Abraham. He's talking about the Old Testament and how our father Abraham went from this land to that and then the tribes of Israel. And he's telling the story of Israel and these Jewish people like they were his ancestors. And it wasn't until I heard it from his lips that I couldn't help but see the disconnect and not think to myself, does this Korean man not realize that he's not Jewish? Like he's really talking about Abraham like he's his father and Israel like that's his people. It was so weird for me to hear it until, and I kid you not, it was like for the first time I looked down and realized I have brown skin. Like I'm an Indian. Right? What, what does an Indian have to do with Father Abraham and, and Israel and their promises and their benefits and, and their blessings and their inheritance? What share should I have in Israel's inheritance? 
So should think every Italian in the room and Jamaican in the room and Nigerian in the room and Dutchman in the room and Englishman in the room should think to themselves, what on earth am I doing written into the will to inherit the universe? I was a stranger and an alien and yet the Father qualified me to be in on this, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God, the universe, the earth, it's all ours. And you didn't do a thing. You didn't contribute to it. You didn't work for it. You didn't pitch in. You didn't help out. God did everything. We did nothing. But we're getting everything. So how can we not be wildly thankful? How can we with Paul not say we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. But that's not the only thing Paul's thankful for. There's a second thing. And the second thing is he's thankful also that the Father has delivered us. Right? If you read on in verse 13, the Father, He, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And so the second thing he's thankful for is not only that He qualified us, but that He delivered us from the domain of darkness. What Paul's trying to get you to see is to see what your spiritual condition was and without Christ is. To help you see what your spiritual condition, when you came out of the womb, when you were born into the world, when you breathed your first breath, what your spiritual condition without Christ was and is. And what he's trying to say is, look, what we were was all of us were citizens of this evil empire. We lived in this sphere of sin. We existed under the tyranny and domain of darkness. It was like the world we knew. It's the only world our souls inhabited. The domain of darkness. Right? I've been reading, I told you a few weeks ago, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to the kids. And the picture of Narnia is this wicked white witch who rules over the land. And what's the picture? It's a picture of winter with no Christmas. So it's always winter and never Christmas, always ice, always freezing, always cold. The snow never melts. It never relents. Spring never comes. That bleak white world is the picture of this domain under the white witch. And Paul's saying, we all lived in that kind of a world, except the domain of our enemy was the domain of darkness. The prince of darkness rules over this domain of darkness in which you and I lived and breathed. If you want to get sort of a glimpse of what that, what that world is like, the closest I can point you to is when Jesus is about to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is about to be arrested, and if you could almost have x-ray vision to see the spiritual world behind the physical, can you imagine the demons shrieking the devil foaming at his mouth in gladness and glee at the thought that the Son of God, the perfect light of the world, was going to be covered in darkness. And in fact, Jesus says to those who are coming to arrest him, this is your hour, the power of darkness. This is the hour of darkness. And if you can picture that wicked scene and that wicked world, that is the domain, the state under which we all live. That's the 24-7 existence of every human being. And what happens is, not only do we live in this darkened world, the darkness is not just outside of us, it's in us. It seeps into us. So that my heart is darkened, 
and my mind is darkened, and my will is darkened, and my body is darkened, and everything about me is bent away from God. The whole thing has seeped, not just outside, it's become the air that I breathe, it's filled my lungs, it's filled my being. So much so, that we get so accustomed to the darkness that we begin to hate the light. We recoil at the light. That's what the scriptures say. It's almost like, you know, when you've been in a dark room for long enough and your eyes get adjusted to life in darkness so that when someone throws open the curtains or sends in the light or turns on the switch, you shriek and say, turn off the light because you can't stand it. You can't take it. This is what happens to us. In fact, in John's Gospel, this is what the writer says. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. It's not just that the darkness was around us. We become lovers of darkness and haters of the light. We hate light exposing us, right? That's what the verse says. We hated the light because what light does is it exposes your wickedness. It exposes your sin. And many of you could say, we don't naturally in ourselves enjoy Jesus walking into our life. Because when he does, he points out a lot of things we wouldn't want to be pointed out. He, he sheds light on things we would prefer, thank you very much, to keep in the dark. This is why if you've done soul care, so care are our smaller communities outside of Sundays where men meet and women meet. And in these communities, let me tell you what every one of our tendency is. It's to hide. It's to keep in the dark. Because the last thing we want to do is have light thrown in on who we really are. You know that pit you feel in the bottom of your stomach when you know you should say this thing, but there's no way you're going to confess this thing? That's because by nature we love the darkness and hate the light. Because what the light does is it exposes that which is growing in the dark. And Paul's saying this is the domain under which we all live. But thanks be to the Father who delivered us from the domain of darkness. The second thing that he's thankful is we thank God because he delivered us from the domain of darkness. And that word delivered is the idea of rescue. It's the word used even in reminiscent of the idea in the Old Testament that God's people, Israel, were once under a domain, under the tyranny of slavery, under an empire they couldn't rise up out of. They, they, they were powerless against this foe in Egypt. And what did God do? He delivered them. He rescued them. Not a spear of their own, not a bow of their own, no fight of their own, and yet God rescued them. Or even God's people who later were sent into exile. That is, they were pushed out of the land into a foreign empire. And they're under oppression, powerless, under tyranny. And yet, what did God do? He delivered them. He rescued them. And so, Paul is saying, we, God's people, were living in a greater tyranny. In a worse exile. Under a greater power. And yet, God accomplished an exodus. A return from exile. God delivered us. God rescued us we didn't contribute to this we didn't add to this we didn't work for this we didn't give to this we didn't chip in or help out he did everything but we get everything and so how can we not be wildly thankful 
But third and finally, Paul says, not only do I thank the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, and not only do we thank the Father because He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, He's done so by third, and what I'm thankful for, He's done that by transferring us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Third, in verse 13, the second part, He says, and has transferred us from transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And the idea there of transferred is God basically went into the domain of darkness with these big, huge, strong hands and picked up all His people and basically resettled them into the kingdom of light. A a God who has swept all His people into His arms, picked them up and transferred them into the beloved son's kingdom, into the kingdom of light. You didn't apply for a visa. You didn't apply for a different citizenship. You didn't immigrate on your own. You didn't walk the path. God has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You were living under the domain of darkness, but thanks be to the father who transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, into the realm, into the world of light. This is what the Father has done. And in Him, we have redemption, He says, the forgiveness of our sins. Once the Father has put us, through no work or effort of our own, into the kingdom of His Son, in Him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when the first century would have heard that word redemption, they would have immediately thought of slavery. And they would have thought of the immediate price, the great price you had to pay to save a slave, to set a slave free, to forgive the debt that they owed. And Paul is saying, that's what Jesus did. Jesus paid the debt and set you free and redeemed you. You're not a slave anymore. I can tell you, you know what that feels like. I'll I'll tell you for me. This week, Shainu and I got a letter and, and, and I don't even have to give you a lot of background. I can just tell you exactly what the letter says, and you'll know the thanksgiving it brought to our heart. We got a letter from the student loan office, and the student loan office said, congratulations, your debt has been paid in full. Right? We're done. You know what we did? We ate at every restaurant we could find. We, we, we couldn't help but be wildly thankful. Every citizen who was once in the domain of darkness has been given by Jesus a slip that says your debt is paid in full when you have been transferred into the light. There is now forgiveness of sins. When Satan wants to come and remind you of your sins, you you show him the slip and you go, my debt has been paid in full. I've been redeemed. I have the forgiveness of sins. You can't remind me of debt anymore. If you pulled up an old debt sheet of mine, it doesn't matter. I've gotten the slip that says my debt has been paid in full. And you can't hold me with that anymore. We live now in a new era, in a new kingdom, in a new place, in the place where there is forgiveness of sins and light. And you didn't work for that. You didn't earn that. You didn't contribute to that. You didn't pitch in for that. You didn't help out for that. The Father transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in light. By now, Samarad, I, I hope you clearly see all the verbs are God's. 
All the action and the activity is God's. All the reception and receiving is ours. He's the one who qualified. He's the one who delivered. He's the one who transferred. We're the ones who get qualified and get delivered and get transferred. All the activity is His. All the receiving is ours. Right? Would you think of, of this for a moment? In just these three verses, Samarod, you came to this equation and here's how you came. You were unqualified. But thanks be to the Father who has qualified you. Samarod, you had nothing. But thanks be to the Father who gave you a share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Samarod, you were sinners. But thanks be to the Father who has made you saints to share in that inheritance. Samarod, you were oppressed and in bondage. But thanks be to the Father who delivered us and rescued us. Samarod, you were living under darkness. But thanks be to the Father who has transferred us to the light. Samarod, you were citizens of Satan's domain. But thanks be to the Father who has made you citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And what did you do? What did you contribute? Nothing. And yet we get everything. And so we should be wildly thankful. We brought sin and poverty and bondage and darkness and allegiance to Satan and hatred for the light. We were empty-handed and unqualified in every way. And so if you're here, and if you don't know Christ, I, I want to plead with you to step out of the paradigm that thinks that you're going to put in your paid work and he's going to give you something. Your works will never earn you what God can give you for free. And so you, you have to today step out of that paradigm and what you need to do is confess who you are. I'm unqualified. I'm in the dark. I'm living in that domain. I'm under that tyranny. I hate the light. I have no allegiance to Jesus. That is who by nature I am. And with empty hands, you come and you get everything. If you take Christ, you get everything. If you confess who you are and you believe who he is, that exchange happens. And you, in that moment, get qualified and delivered and transferred. And if that has happened for you, then be thankful today. Wildly thankful. Because the Father has qualified us and delivered us and transferred us. Let's pray.